Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the privilege of, of gathering as the local body of Christ. And Father, my ultimate prayer today is that you would enjoy yourself. Father, that you would enjoy the way that we fellowship with each other, the way that we worship, the way that we sit under the teaching of the word. And then, Father, with that, I pray that, God, that you would speak. And Father, I recognize today that, that if I speak by my own authority or my own intellect, God, I'm wasting everybody's time. Which is, Father, why we're so desperate for you to speak. So God, I pray with desperation that your word, your truth would go forth. And we're expectant to see how you respond as we recognize that when your word goes forth, it never returns void. We love you, God. Enjoy yourself today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. My, my name is Jeffrey Samplaski. I'm the student pastor here at Great Hills. And I just want to take the opportunity again to welcome you and, and then also to welcome our guests. Um, we're excited to have you here joining us for worship today. In fact, it is our privilege to have you with us today. Um, let me invite you to grab your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 through 21. So this is an amazing passage of scripture, and, and to be quite honest with you, I was blown away this week as I began to, uh, to study through this passage and really begin to search through scripture as to where it was that God was leading us to go for this Sunday. And, and the reason I was so blown away by this particular passage this week is because, as you know, um, here at Great Hills, we, we've adopted this, this sort of motto of for the one. In fact, Pastor Danny is speaking through um, a series right now called For the One, where he's talking about how we as believers are called to, um, to, to seek out that one, to come alongside that one person, live life with them, walk through every circumstance of life with people, share the gospel with people. Um, so we've, we've really adopted this, 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 really it's not even a motto, it's a lifestyle here at Great Hills. And, and this passage today really pushes into that same thing, living a, a missional lifestyle. And again, it's an amazing passage. And when I was studying through this and really thinking through it, one of the things that really struck me as, as I prepared was the fact that there are people spread out all through this room who are living a missional lifestyle. In fact, I hear stories weekly, sometimes daily even, for, from some of you or reports during our staff meetings about some of you who have just in the natural rhythms of your life shared the gospel with the people that God has brought in your path. And I want to commend you for that, my brothers and sisters in Christ. You are putting yourself in a place through your obedience to God, you're putting yourself in a place to enjoy God for who he is. And that's such an amazing truth. I think sometimes we miss that. I think sometimes, and, and I say this because I've been guilty of it at times. I feel like sometimes we approach scripture and, and get this kind of sense that, that, that our God is this like overbearing, tyrannical God who's given us this list of do's and don'ts. But the truth of the matter is, and I want you to really consider this as we study through this passage. Yes. Our God is Lord over us. 
But our God wants us to enjoy him. Our God wants us to enjoy being satisfied in him as we walk in obedience to him. So y'all, church, as we go forth with the gospel, we go forth and, and we're putting ourselves in a place to enjoy God through our obedience to him. So again, friends that are here who are sharing the gospel in the natural rhythms of your life, I commend you for living faithfully, for sharing the gospel faithfully. So again, as we look into this passage, we're going to be talking about um, this, this really interesting um, kind of marriage that you see in Scripture. This marriage between our being made alive together with Christ and our being ministers of reconciliation. As you study through scripture, you'll begin to realize, and specifically in our passage for today, you'll begin to realize that we were, the, the moment that you're called by God as a believer, the moment of salvation, you're also tasked with being a minister of reconciliation. Those two are married together. They can't be separated from each other. You know, oftentimes uh, God convicts me, and, and, and I've seen this, this same thing playing out in, in several areas in churches that I've served at and people that I've come alongside in ministry. But, but I sense that oftentimes we kind of get in the rut of, of thinking that we have some type of like training stage. The day that we get saved between then and some future version of us where all of a sudden now we're called ministers of reconciliation. The gospel doesn't entertain that at all. In fact, the, again, once the, the moment that we're saved, the moment that we follow Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, we are sent. We are called as ministers of reconciliation, which is what we're going to see in this passage so you may ask, well, Jeffrey, if there's people in this room that are living, numbers of people in this room, that are living a missional lifestyle, well, well why are we talking about living a missional lifestyle? If there's people that are doing it, why are we talking about it again? Why are we pushing into it so much at, at Great Hills? Well, because Scripture tells us to, first of all. And we want to be obedient to what God has called us to. And if, if the missional lifestyle, if missions and evangelism are, are central to the heart of our God, they need to be central to the heart of our church. I'm reminded of an interview that I saw not too long ago with the pastor John Piper. John Piper was sitting on a panel with several other pastors, and, and people just had the opportunity to ask him questions. And one of the questions that I remember standing out the most to me was somebody raised their hand and said, Pastor John, how much should we pray? To which he responded, and I think the, the, the perfect answer, he responded, more. And, and the more I thought about it, the more I, I just see the, the unbelievable significance in that. And now I recognize that the, the subject of that question is a little different than what we're talking about today, sort of. Those, those two go hand in hand too. But I recognize that the subject is a little different, but the essence of the question is the exact same. So as people that are living a missional lifestyle, how much should we go? How much should we share the gospel more? We are called by God to live a missional lifestyle. 
And today I want to urge you in the same way that Paul was urging the Corinthian church to continue to, to be faithful, to go and to preach the gospel. In fact, God chose us as his vehicle to be the vehicle of making his gospel known to the world. So again, this passage today, amazing passage. Paul is uh, writing this letter to a, a church that has seen a lot of corruption, a lot of just extreme difficulties in the church. He's defending his apostolic ministry, but he's also, again, which is uh, what I believe God has called me to do today, he's also calling the church and urging the church to represent Christ and his kingdom well. So if you will, read with me 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. It says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we re regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul, again, in the midst of just some extreme difficulty within the church, is urging and pleading with the Corinthian church to stay faithful to what God has called them to do. And what I want you to notice first and foremost is that as a follower of Christ, reconciled people, are given a new perspective. You'll see that in your, in your worship bulletin for today. <clears throat> um, I would encourage you to write that down. And we see this true in the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 5. It says, from now on, this is verse 16 through 18, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. It's an amazing verse. And what Paul is telling us is that as believers who have been made alive together with Christ, God has given us this new perspective to see people and the world different, to, to see them from a different vantage point. Even Paul himself here says that at one time we saw Christ according to the flesh. In other words, Paul, Paul's eyes were geared toward, because of the sin in his heart, Paul's eyes were geared towards seeing people in a very earthly way, a very worldly way. And then God, through salvation, gave him new eyes to see people the way that God sees them. And then he says, even Christ, we saw him as just a mere figure, but now we see him for who he is because God's given us a new perspective. He's given us the perspective to see Christ as the Christ, the son of the living God. And as people who are called by God, God gives us a different vantage point, a different perspective, as you will, or if you will. 
He allows us to see people in the world around us in a far different way than the way we would have had we not been followers of Christ. That's why we take a look at the world and the things that are going on around us and we see the deadness of the world. That's why we see the desperate need for a savior. We begin to have a a deep brokenness for the lost. That's why we as believers, because of the new perspective, because we don't see things according to the flesh anymore. That's why we begin to see things around the world like school shootings and abortion and the sex trafficking that's going on around the world. And because we've been given eyes to see, we don't see things as a part of the flesh anymore. We see them for what they are and we recognize that those things are rooted in evil and they come from the deadness of sin in the world. Because God's given us a new perspective. And again, that's how we see people. We see people around the world from a new perspective. Because God has made us alive, given us eyes to see the way that God sees. So why do we have that new perspective? Verse 18, excuse me, let me start at 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So why is it that we have that brand new perspective? It's because God gave us new life. It's because God has called us through Jesus' death and resurrection, has, has called us to salvation. And in salvation, as we see in this passage, the old has passed away. The old sinful self has passed away. And the new has come. God has given us a new heart. As a part of being a follower of Christ, we don't just bear that name like a little name tag on our shirt that says, I'm a Christian. As a follower of Christ, God brings us from death to life. He gives us new life. We are radically, as a result of the cross, the finished work of Jesus at the cross, he gives us brand new life. In other words, according to Paul, the old doesn't even exist anymore. We are totally different as a part of knowing Christ. So I find it interesting in considering the great weight of the cross and what Jesus did for us. I I can't help but continue to think, yes, we, we do owe a great debt to our God for what he did, for his finished work on the cross, making a way for us to be brought to life, given new life, and brought into unbroken, unhindered fellowship to God. However, the primary reason that we share the gospel of Jesus Christ is because we're alive. It's because we're made alive. The old is gone and we are alive. And as people who are alive, we can't help but share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Scripture never entertains the idea of someone knowing God, having a relationship with God, but not living on mission. When you were called by God for salvation, you were sent by God on mission with his gospel to proclaim it to the ends of the earth. So point number two, 
Christians represent the God of reconciliation. Verse 19 says that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So as people who are made alive together with Christ, as we see in Ephesians 2, or in Ephesians, because God made us alive in salvation, he also tasks us, according to this passage, with being a minister of reconciliation. I find it so interesting that as we read through uh, our verses for today, that, that Paul goes from speaking about God, reconciling, the, reconciling people to himself, directly into reconciled people being ministers of reconciliation. He then goes back to God reconciling us to himself and then again to reconciled people being ministers of reconciliation. And then all of a sudden at the very end, this unbelievably familiar verse to some of us, Paul caps off the section with mentioning that we're ambassadors for Christ. It's so interesting that pattern. Paul goes from God reconciling the world to himself. In other words, God making a way for people to be brought into good standing with him, brought into uh, fellowship with him through the cross. He goes through talking about being a minute, or God reconciling the world to himself, to us being ministers of reconciliation. Again, to God reconciling the world to himself, to our being made ministers of reconciliation. I found that pattern so interesting as I studied this week that he would go from one to the next and back and back and so on and so forth. But what I want you to see, church, as you read through scripture and as you read through our passage for today, those two, God reconciling us to himself and us being ministers of reconciliation, are intrinsically, really inextricably tied to each other. They can't be divorced of each other. You can't be called by God as a follower of Christ and not take part in declaring his mission to the world. They're tied together. They can't be divorced. In fact, as you read through scripture, You'll see that as God, as Jesus calls people to himself, the natural compulsion of their being called to God in salvation is to go. It's to go with that same gospel to do what, what Jesus himself came to do. Reconcile the world to the holy God. You see this truth playing out in passages like John 1, where Andrew followed Jesus. And then as a result, he went and found his brother Simon, brought him to Jesus. You see it with Philip and Nathaniel. Jesus calls Philip, follow me. Nathaniel has this interesting comment. Or excuse me, Philip goes and finds Nathaniel and says, You've got to come see this guy. You got to come see Jesus. Nathaniel responds with this somewhat of a theological argument. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? To which Philip responds, not with some crafty language or anything like that, but he responds with, come see Jesus. 
And as a result, Nathaniel himself comes to see Jesus. You see it again in a very, very familiar passage that, that we're actually going to dig into here in coming weeks with Pastor Danny. You see it in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Jesus goes into Samaria breaking all sorts of cultural norms and customs. He goes out, seeks out this one, sits with this lady. This lady follows Jesus. And the amazing thing that happens, this lady then goes back into her town where she is seen as a nobody. She would be seen as a bottom-of-the-barrel kind of person. But yet she, having been with Jesus, the compulsion of her heart is to go back into her hometown and say, you've got to come see Jesus. You've got to come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. And as a result of that, the village turned to Jesus. You see, church, the natural compulsion of our hearts when we're followers of Christ, when we're saved, is to go, is to proclaim Christ's gospel. Again, those two are intri uh, they're, they're intrinsically tied to each other. They're married and can't be separated. Now here's my plea. My friends, if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, or rather, let me back up. If you're here, and you are not living a missional lifestyle, there's only two possibilities. Either number one, you're walking in disobedience to God and need to repent of your sin. Or number two, you may not be a believer at all. And I say that in love, my friends, but somehow or another, uh, we've, we've, we've done... Somehow or another, we, we've attempted to separate our being made alive together with Christ and our being made ministers of reconciliation. But again, Scripture doesn't entertain that separation in any way. When you're called, you're sent. You can't separate these two. So again, I say it in love. If, if, if we are not actively engaging in the ministry of reconciliation that we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's either only two possibilities. Either number one, we're being disobedient and need to repent and follow God. And I recognize that that's, that's difficult. I recognize that that's difficult for us to swallow because I recognize that we walk through the difficulties of life, our, our ups and our downs. Even as followers of Christ, we still deal with our sin nature. We're not chained and bound by our sin, but oftentimes we stand next to it as if we're still bound by it. So I recognize that we go through life's difficulties, which is why I want to say, if that's you and you are a believer, I want to say this as lovingly as I can, as graciously as I can. Ask God to forgive you and then put your hand back on the plow. And the second possibility is if you don't have a desire to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that may be evidence that you don't know Jesus Christ. And church, that scares me, if I can be honest with you. 
That, that scares me that there's people in churches all around the world, numbers of people all around the world that may profess Christ and say that they know Christ but have no fruit. And it scares me to think that there's people that believe they may have a relationship with Christ when biblically they may not. So again, I would plead with you, if you don't know Christ, if you don't have a desire to make Christ and his gospel known, I would plead with you to ask God to reveal to you the status of your heart. And the reason that I say that, church, is because there's a world out there that's separated from God because of sin. who are on their way to an eternity of separation from God in a very real and a very dangerous place called hell. But church, it doesn't have to be that way because God made a way for sinful man to be reconciled to the holy God. And he chose us to be the vehicle to proclaim that gospel to the ends of the earth. Second of all, I also want you to understand that just like we talked about at the very beginning, that through our obedience and walking faithfully with God, we get to enjoy God. We get to enjoy being satisfied with God, the all-satisfying God. So us, the, the, the staff, the pastors here at Great Hills, yes, we want you to enjoy God as you go. But really, God wants you to enjoy God as you go. You'll recognize that we're referred to as ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. As an ambassador, when you go into the world, you represent the holy God of the universe, believer. When the world looks at you, they're going to attribute you to your God. So my, my question is, what are we telling the world about our God? So again, I plead with you, my friends, out of obedience to God, go. Make him known. Share his gospel message to the ends of the earth. And enjoy God while you go. And then number three, all of this happens because of the cross. Like we talked about our being ministers of reconciliation comes from God being the God of reconciliation. When God saves us, he makes us ministers of reconciliation. But all of that comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. You see this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And he caps off this section by saying, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This, in my opinion, is one of the most passionate verses in all of Scripture. Because you see Christ becoming sin on our behalf. Jesus didn't just die on our behalf. 
He became our sin and died on our behalf. And when Christ went to the cross, when, Christ, when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross on our behalf. He became our sin. And he died the death that you and I should have died. So that, like that verse says, we might be the righteousness of God. I've heard Pastor Danny refer to it before as the greatest trade. We give God all of our sinfulness. He died for our sin. He died as a result of our sin, paying the consequence for our sin that was due us. And as a result of that, when we trust Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives, he gives us his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus in us and he says they're innocent. They're righteous. My friends, this is the gospel. Jesus dying on our behalf, making a way for us to be reunited with the holy God of the universe. And Christ says, scripture says, whoever would believe in God. Whoever would put their faith in Christ shall be saved. My friends, this is great news because we have the opportunity to be made right with God. And as a result of our being made right with God, we're sent by God. So church, again, I plead with you. Go. Make Christ known to the ends of the earth. Proclaim his gospel and enjoy him as you go. Again, our being made right with God, being made alive together with God, is married to our being ministers of reconciliation. If you're alive together with Christ, you're qualified to go. You're equipped to go. Now go and enjoy him. But again, we recognize that all of this is only possible because of the cross of Jesus Christ. The only reason that we are alive and given this new perspective is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. The only reason that we're able to see the world the way that God sees the world is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. So as you go, let me remind you that as you go, you go because the victory's already been won. John 16, says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. That's not just some passive statement, that's an exclamatory statement where Christ is saying, take heart, I have overcome the world. Church, as you go, as we live out in obedience, the lifestyle that God has called us to live, recognize that we go because the victory has already been won. So as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, this is a special, special time in the life of the church. It's an ordinance that God has given to the church to the believer, to be carried out by the local church, by the believer. It's a twofold reason. On one hand, as we take of this table, 
we look back on the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. We remember what he did on our behalf so that we could be the righteousness of God. When we look back on the cross, we're reminded that the victory has already been won. But also as we take of this table, we look forward and we're reminded that our God hasn't left us here. He didn't come back from the grave and then just leave us here. But as we take of this table, we're reminded that our God is coming back. Scripture says he's coming back to take us to be with himself so that where we are, or so that where he is, there we might be also. So as we prepare to take of this table, I want to encourage you as the believer, as believers, to recognize the finished work of the cross and be encouraged as we remember our God is coming back. Let's pray together as our guys come up to prepare the table. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for another day, for the incredible privilege to be called children of God. Father, as we prepare to take of this table, Father, thank you for such a sweet ordinance that you've given us. And Father, I pray that as we take of this table, we would look back on the amazing sacrifice at the cross. Father, I pray that we would celebrate that victory. Father, I pray that through the taking of this table, we would be reminded of, of the unity that you have called us to as the body of Christ. And then God also, I pray that we would be reminded of the fact that you are coming back. Father, that you are coming back, not as a newborn baby, but as a conquering king. Father, I long for that day, but until that day, would you help us to be good stewards of the day that you've given us? Father, spur us on to make your gospel known to the ends of the earth. We love you, God. It's in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.